This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, back at it. Hour two of the program rolls on. Sportsnet Today, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Logan Gordon along with you. Get the show wherever you get your podcasts. Google, Amazon, Spotify, etc., etc., etc. Or you can find the show anytime at sportsnet.ca slash 960. Flames practice day. Coming off a win against the San Jose Sharks last night. They'll continue their California trip in San Jose tomorrow. Another matchup against the San Jose Sharks. And uh, whenever we talk about the Sharks here on this program, uh, there's only one gentleman we like to go to, and uh, we'll go to him now down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Very happy to welcome back to the program uh, our pal from the uh, Bay Area News Group covering the San Jose Sharks. It is Curtis Pashelka uh, joining us this afternoon. Curtis, thanks for doing this, man. How are you? Good, Logan. How are you? I'm doing great, thank you. Uh, observations from last night, a uh, back-to-back spot for the Sharks, and uh, seems to disappear pretty quickly in the third period for uh, for the group. Yeah, you know, it, it's, uh, they were coming off a, a 3-2 loss or a 3-2 shootout loss of the Kings the, the night before. And, and uh, you know, the, the same problem that affected them in that game was, was apparent in, the, uh, in last night's game, too. Just kind of a slow start out of the gate for, for the Sharks. And, you know, they're able to kind of regroup a little bit, you know, get a power play goal to, to tie things up. Eric Carlson... The nice pass over to Timo Meyer. Uh, they were able to, to, to score there, even the, even the game, and they felt pretty good. You know, going into the third period, you know, one goal game. You know, they had a little bit of a power, a little, little bit of power play time uh, left at that at that stage. But uh, you know, obviously, the, the game changes a little bit when when Tomas sort of high sticks uh, Elias Lindholm there, and and uh, the Sharks have to go and kill a penalty and give up a goal next, uh, you know, a few seconds later, and then. Uh, Lindholm scores again to make it four to one, and that's pretty much game set and match. So uh, those type of mistakes, those type of critical moments, have kind of been haunting the Sharks for most of the season. And and uh, you know last night was no different. And and uh, yeah, it's just been uh, it's been a tough uh, 30, 33 games here for the Sharks so far this year for sure. Yeah, I was going to ask you if you were to describe this team, what the Sharks are thirty three games into the season, what would come to mind, Curtis? Well, a team that that probably uh, you know has probably a little bit better, you know, maybe a little bit better than the record might indicate. I mean, they 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 played a lot of close games and, and, and you know they played a lot of teams tough, but uh, you know they keep getting um, uh, hurt by these really untimely mistakes, whether it's turnovers, whether it's breakdowns in their own zone. Uh, you know, you, you saw the, the first goal last night at Jacob Megna. You know, tries to get a pass over to uh, Nico Sturm and in the sharp zone. Instead, it goes right to Tyler to Foley stick, and you know it's in the back of the net. And that's happened quite a bit uh, this year for the Sharks. Just those type of untimely mistakes, and and uh, whether it's early in the game or late in the game, um, you know that's 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 kind of the type of thing that's that's uh, that's affected this team. You know, under Dave Quinn, Dave Quinn in his first season here, so. Um, you know, I think I think the Sharks are realistic. We're about where they were in their in their uh, franchise franchises sort of a you know place right now. But 
Um, you know, I, 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 they probably feel that they should uh, have a better, better record than, than they have right now, for sure. How have guys like Logan Couture and, and Tomas Hurdle sort of handled this season? They're both guys that wear letters for San Jose. They're obviously both part of, of this team for a long time and will be for, at least we think, for a long time going forward. But these type of seasons are, are never easy for guys that have been there and done some of the winning and been part of a successful San Jose team in the past. Yeah, no doubt. It's it's been it's been tough for them to to lose as often as they have, especially at the start of the season. I mean, you look back to the last couple of years for the Sharks, and and, for, and sure they you know they weren't leading the, the division or, or near the top of the division by any stretch, but they were still playing pretty competitive hockey up until you know the midway point of the season before they get to the trade deadline and things start to fall apart from there. But it's been such a a tough start for the Sharks. They got off to an 0-5-0 and start and just been trying to sort of climb out of that hole ever since. And, you know, I, I think, I think they're both, you know, realistic about, you know, um, what the expectations were for the Sharks this season, but it still, it still hurts. I mean, they've, they've missed the playoff three straight, straight years now. Uh, it looks like it's going to be a four straight year without a playoff spot. So, um, you know, no doubt from, from their perspective of two, as two of the leaders on this team that, it hurts to be out of the playoff mix as as as, uh, as they have been here for the last four years, and and uh, you know they, they they feel there are brighter days ahead, but you know it's hard to be patient in the meantime. Uh, let's talk about the biggest story out of San Jose this year, and the one that I'm sure you've you've talked about more than any, and that's of course Eric Carlson and the the tear that he's been on offensively this season. I have a couple questions regarding Eric, and I guess the first one would be probably the one that you've dove into most, and it's what's been the reason for this breakout for him it's not that he was bad or off you know the last couple of years I know he dealt with some injuries but he just wasn't at this pace for as much of his San Jose career as maybe even the Sharks had expected right yeah I mean I think first and foremost for Eric is you mentioned it that you know he's healthy again his body feels good um you know he definitely had some injury issues uh, over the last two or three years, and it really hampered him. Whether it was his lower body, his groin, or even last year when he was dealing with a bit of a four, had forearm surgery that kept him out for uh, for 20 games or so. So, you know, his body feels good right now. I think you know, with Brett Burns being traded to Carolina, that that you know gave Eric sort of a uh, an opportunity to really take a, a leading role uh, on this team, both on the ice and and off the ice too. Um, you know, he and he and Burns really split time uh, as far as uh, you know, in, in, not even five on five situations, but on the power play too. And now that Eric's sort of the, the lead dog again on, on that on that blue line, I think it's helped him sort of flourish and you know, get his game to another level. And I think he really he really enjoys playing for David Quinn too. You remember that Adam Fox had a very good year under David Quinn when when he was with the Rangers. And I think Eric sort of. Uh, you know, has a, has a good relationship with them. Uh, kind of understands what David's going with, uh, wants to do with, with this team, and I, I think uh, that's helped him uh, sort of, you know, get off to a very good start here. Uh, you know, 700 career points last night. He's up to 33 points, I think. Oh, no, I'm sorry, 42, 41 points now for for the season. And so, um, you know, I think uh, I think we put all that together, and you've got a. You know, the Eric Carlson, I think the Sharks have hoped they've had for the last uh, couple of years for sure. Okay, so answer the question that everybody in the NHL wants to know, Curtis, and that's, is a Eric Carlson move 
feasible, possible, imaginable in your mind if he continues at the kind of pace he's been going at? You know, I, I don't see it this season. I think it might be more of a thing that happens in the off season. Okay. Um, you know, it, it, just from just from reading the tea leaves a little bit, you know, it's going to be so hard to try to sort of make this work because, you know, obviously Eric Carlson has a no-move clause. He, he, he gets to decide where he wants to go, and then, um, you know, the, the teams sort of have to sort of work it out from there. So, um, from where I'm standing, it's just it's going to be very difficult to, to make that type of move in season. Uh, we'll see what happens in the off season. You know, it's things can change. Um, you know, I don't. You know, and also from the Sharks' perspective too, they have to at least try to sort of make a move that works for them too in, in the long term. So you try to put all that together, and and uh, it's going to be a big challenge to sort of move it in season. But you know, we'll see what happens in the in the in the off season too. If, if Eric decides at that point that you know he'd like to change the scenery and and uh, maybe explore some some avenues maybe to, to, to play for another team. Um, you know, that could certainly sort of be worked out. I think kind of the same thing happened with, with Brent Burns at the end of last season where he kind of indic- indicated that, you know, he's getting a point in his career where he's, you know, 37, 38 years old. He's only got, you know, two, three years left on his contract. And, um, you know, it's, he sort of said, you know, you didn't really have a stomach for another two, three years potentially without going to the playoffs. Uh, so he and my career kind of got together and, and we're able to sort of work, uh, work out a plan for the future. And, you know, Burns ended up getting traded to Carolina. And so, cause that's, you know, I think could something like that happen again, you know, from Eric Carlson's perspective, uh, you know, this off season, you know, it's certainly possible, but maybe a little bit more of a challenge than it was with, with Burns. We saw Capo Kakinen in goal last night. He was obviously acquired, uh, from the Minnesota wild last season. And, has kind of been splitting time with James Reimer and the Sharks' goal this season, Curtis. Uh, signed to that two-year contract in the offseason. I'm curious if the Sharks see Capo Kakernin as the goalie of the future or if he's more of the goalie right now for the group, or is maybe that still something to be decided based on his play? You know, I think it's still to be decided a little bit. Um, he's um, He's been up and down. This year, there's no no doubt about it. Uh, he's, uh, you know, you came in as sort of the a guy who you would think to be sort of being a tandem with James Reimer. Maybe they kind of split the workload, and then, you know, David Quinn was hoping at least one of those guys would uh, emerge and, and be the number one. And really, it's been James Reimer more than more or less for for the most of the season. He he, he just uh, he just came back from from IR. He was out for two weeks, but uh, you know, so. It's been a, it's been a sort of a work in progress with, with Capo to to get him back to to where he likes to be. Um, you know, I think we'll, we'll we'll know a lot more about him and what what the Sharks think of of him and his his, his future here uh, towards as we you know get into the second half of the season and maybe he plays a bit more you know a few more games uh, gets more experience under under David Quinn and his coaching staff and then he can kind of go from there. But you're right. I mean he's he signed for one more year. Ideally, you'd like to get him to a spot where he is the number one uh, by the end of the year, and you feel good about your uh, at least having him in, in place for for next season. But uh, it all remains to be seen. You know, you talk about you know rebuilds or or, or what, uh, you know, whatever you want to talk about. But if you don't have a goalie that you can kind of rely on uh, to take you to that next stage or take you to that next step, then uh, maybe all your other work. Uh, 
you know doesn't uh, doesn't count for as much. So uh, we'll see what happens with, with Capo. I think they uh, they feel they can get him back into a, a spot where he feels good about his game again because he was he was good with Minnesota. You know mm-hmm. he, was, he had a couple of nice years there. Um, it just hasn't been it's, it's just been a real struggle for the with him and, and the Sharps so far this season. So it's just a matter of can he get back to that place of being a solid, reliable goalie again. Doesn't have to be an all-star, but just be a, a good, reliable goalie that uh, the Sharks can count on for, uh, for you know, at least 40, 45 games each year. And uh, another guy to ask you about, it's, it's you know, again, sticking to a, a similar narrative that we've had with the player in San Jose before, but it, it feels like deja vu with the Tomas Hurdle situation and now what's going on with Timo Meyer. He'll, of course, be an RFA at season's end. He's 26. He's having a great offensive campaign. I think he's at 30 points already this season. He's got a big qualifying offer, and uh, I guess maybe the Eric Carlson noise has kind of overshadowed what's still to come, but the Timo Meyer situation, probably still one worth watching in San Jose if he's going to, to be around for the long term or if he's going to be a piece that, that Mike Greer looks to move. Hey, Curtis? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, to me, that's that's sort of the big next step for, for Mike Greer, more so than Eric Carlson as to what he does with, with Timo Meyer. Does he you know, try to work out a long-term extension with him? Does, does Timo Meyer want to stay? I can tell you that you know, there really hasn't been any contract talks between the two sides uh, as of late last week. Um, you know, so to Timo's perspective, he's kind of playing out the year, and I think Mike Greer is also being patient right now. And, and uh, you know, if there is, a, there is a team that approaches him uh, as we get closer to the trade deadline and makes a solid offer, I don't have to think that Mike Greer would have to listen to it. You know, he said, you know, a few weeks ago that he's open to trading just about anybody on this roster outside of outside of Tomas Hurdle, and he wants he'll listen on Carlson, he'll listen on Meyer too. So um, that's something to watch definitely going forward. And you know, what does that mean? You know, if you do trade him, what does that mean? You know, for in terms of the, the Sharks coming up competitive again? You know, does that mean it's going to take another two or three years? Does that mean uh, they're ready to transition to, into into a new uh, a new phase without Timo Meyer? We'll, we'll see, but uh, that's definitely the most interesting thing that's. That's going to happen with its organization between now and March third. What's the the rest of season outlook for this group, Curtis? Because I, I as I look at things and you know I was getting ready to chat today, I look and you know a lot of teams around where San Jose is in the standings. You'll look and you'll say, okay, well that guy is definitely an up and comer. He's young. He's taking over more minutes. It it's a little bit harder to find that on on San Jose, especially in the defense where you look and you say, wow. You know the average age there. I think Cap Friendly had it at thirty years, almost thirty-one years old. Um, where is San Jose in the the rest of season outlook for all of this, and how do they kind of look at what's left of the season for them to accomplish? Well, I think that you know from their perspective, it's like they feel that they've got. They're trying to sort of a lay up like with Mike Greer and David Quinn. They're trying to maybe lay a foundation for. For going forward now you're right i mean there are a lot of experienced players on this team and you wonder what's going to happen long term um you know they do have some some uf pending ufas on the roster like james reimer um you know nick benito uh matt nieto uh you know three guys that could be attractive to some teams as we get closer to the trade deadline um but it's just a matter i think of this year just trying to establish a little bit of a foundation 
uh, have this have a team's identity in place. You're kind of in this mushy middle a little bit, you know, because they're not they're not so bad that they're gonna definitely wind up with the best odds to wind up with the, with the uh, the first overall pick next year. But they're not necessarily good enough to to be in a in a playoff race. So um, we'll see what happens over the course of the, over the course of the next few months. Uh, I do think they will get there. They want to take a look at some of their top prospects uh, who are all in the American League right now. Give them a shot at some point, maybe after the trade deadline. See where they're at in their development. That'll help them kind of decide what they want to do uh, next summer. So, you know, there are a lot of options on the table uh, with some of these guys. I don't think Mike Greer is going to be afraid to make a lot of changes uh, if he sees fit and um, you know, sort of sort of, uh, you know, maybe try to take another step forward next year. Because I don't, I don't necessarily see them being in a long rebuild. At least they don't want to be in a really long rebuild. This will be mm-hmm. the fourth three year they don't make the playoffs. I don't know if they want to go another two or three years without at least being in a position where they, where they feel they can. So, um, you know, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see where, where Mike Greer kind of takes his team in the offseason, what kind of moves he makes, and, and see if they can pivot to maybe being more of a, a contending type team next season. Uh, just a couple more for you, Curtis. Appreciate the time uh, as always. Uh, just curious what you've made of David Quinn in year one as uh, San Jose Sharks head coach. You know, I think he's, his strengths are he's, he's a communicator. He's a guy who, 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 who um, you know, has wants to develop a, a relationship with the players so they know where he's coming from. And he, he gets to know them a little bit. What's the, what motivates them? What's what gets them be to be with the you know the best players that they can be kind of thing. It's um, you know I think it's been frustrating for him because you know he's he's coming in and he wants to establish you know certain things within the team, but it hasn't quite uh, sunk in yet. You know he keeps you know they're talking about you know they're they're making some of the same mistakes that they made. You know, early on in the year, and, and it gets frustrating for him because he keeps uh, trying to harp on these things, and and you know, keep trying to uh, uh, get these guys to, to play the way he wants them to play, uh, but it hasn't quite clicked yet. You know, they they've had one three game winning streak that was that was a few weeks ago, about a month ago, when they won the last three games of a of a four game road trip. You know, they they, they had a four game point streak. Um, going on uh, before they, their, their loss last night. So there's been areas here and there where, where Quinn has, has seen some some light at the end of the tunnel, but then, you know, the setback like last, last night, and it almost feels they have to start from scratch again. So uh, but he's, he's, he's trying to be patient. Uh, he knows this is not going to be a quick fix type situation, and, and uh, he wants his team, he feels this team is capable of, uh, you know, playing better than it has, at least having a better record than it has over the, over the next few weeks. And uh, last but not least for you, any uh, expectation on your end of things, whether we'll, we'll see Tomas Hurdle in the lineup tomorrow after uh, his meeting with player safety? Uh, it's tough to say. I mean, I, I tend to think when these, when these guys get a hearing uh, more often than not, it's, it's, it's going to be a, a suspension of some sort. I don't think it's going to be a long one. You might get one game. Uh, or player safety could turn around and just say, you know what, the two-minute minor was was warranted, and that we'll leave it at that. But um, you know, I think I think Tomas Hurdle says, you know, he, he, he talked. We talked to him last night and said, you know, it was a dumb penalty, it was a dumb play. He, he got, you know, Lindholm, you know, cross-checked him two or three times, and 
he retaliated and, and caught him in the, caught him around the face there. So my guess is he'll he'll get one game, but um, you know we'll see we'll see what happens. I I try not to predict what player safety is going to do when they <laughs> when they when they when you think they're going to suspend somebody they don't. And when you think they do, or when you think they don't, they do. So yeah. uh, we'll see what happens there. But I think the Sharks have to uh, try to maybe make some plans here for, for being without him for, for at least one game. Yeah, absolutely. Curtis, always appreciate the time. Thanks so much for the insight, pal. Uh, enjoy the game tomorrow night, and we'll chat with you down the road sometime soon, hey? Sounds good, Logan. Thank you. Thanks. Curtis Pashelka, the uh, Bay Area News Group. He covers the San Jose Sharks. You can find him on Twitter, at Curtis Pashelka. All things San Jose Sharks. And yes, in case you missed it, Tomas Hurdle will have a meeting with uh, the Department of Player Safety for that uh, high-sticking call that he received a minor for on Elias Lindholm early in the third period last night. And uh, still no word as to whether or not he'll be available for the Sharks when it comes to tomorrow night's matchup. But we'll uh, we'll wait and see as the Flames are in San Jose for their second of two against the Sharks. And then they'll head off to uh, Anaheim in L.A. to finish off this four-game road trip uh, later on in the week. Thanks to uh, Curtis again for joining us. He comes down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. We'll take a break, come back on the other side. Uh, we'll hear from some of the Flames from last night, including head coach Daryl Sutter, and dive into the lineup changes that we may or may not see in tomorrow's game against San Jose. Our pal Wes Gilbertson from Post Media and a contributor to Flames Talk with Pat Steinberg had the latest lines and D pairings from practice today and they're a little bit different than they were for Calgary's win on Sunday night. We'll get into that when Sportsnet Today continues next here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Hour 2, Sportsnet Today from the Douglas Basement Systems downtown studio. No Calgary Flames hockey tonight. Coming off a win against the Sharks yesterday. Back at it against the Sharks tomorrow. This is sort of that continuation of the bubble season schedule. Where did the music go? I don't know. That's just that was it. That's it. Ran out. Wow, that was just hard stop. It's the cardinal sin. I'm so sorry. That's all right. That just that stunned me a little bit there. Uh, <laughs> anyways. Um, like I was saying, this is sort of a continuation of the uh, bubble season scheduling where teams said, hey, we actually don't mind you know, getting a couple home games in against one team. It's just the four or five that we used to do during the bubble season and the no fans and all the other terrible things that went along with that. So they're, they're trying it out in some instances. I think they'll do the same thing against St. Louis. At some point this season as well, they'll have two in a row in St. Louis. So uh, that's kind of a neat thing. You get to see the same team twice. And uh, for the Flames, it means, you know, kicking it around in, in Northern California for a little bit. So could be worse uh, place to be, especially with it freezing uh, here in Calgary. Interesting to note, though, and the thing that we want to dive into here as we keep uh, talking Flames is the lineup changes that we may see tomorrow night after this Flames win. Our pal Wes Gilbertson from Post Media in San Jose with the team uh, at practice today with some good news, some interesting news, and a couple of head-scratching decisions. Uh, 960-960, the fan feedback line is always open to you to chat about these, and I know when I went over them with Lou in hour one, 
uh, more than a few people wanted to to dive into them. So I thought now would be a good opportunity to do so. So let's start with the the bad news. And the bad news is no Gilbert, no Zadorov for the Flames at practice today. Gilbert got into that fight, uh, which he's been very good at. It was a good fight last night, actually. He took a, a shot late that dropped him and left for concussion protocol. Did not return, just finished with 3.51 of ice time. And then Nikita Zadorov took a shot late in the third period. I want to say about five or six minutes left. Right around the wrist, forearm area. He left the game immediately once the whistle went, and we didn't see him out there either. Looked like he was in considerable pain. So no Zadorov, no Gilbert. That's the bad news. The good news is Chris Tanev, who did skate yesterday by himself for about an hour, did skate as part of practice today. He was on a pairing with Mackenzie Weger. So your D pairings, Hannafin Anderson, Weger, Tanev, Mackie, and Stone. We'll wait to get updates on Zadorov and Gilbert and maybe even uh, a recall from the Flames for that seventh defenseman if you're talking about a couple injuries back there. Wouldn't surprise us if, while they're out on the road to have that extra guy available. And just for the fact that the team went 11-7 and yesterday to give themselves a couple different options. So uh, wait and see what happens on the back end. The good news there, obviously, is if Chris Tanev is able to come back that quickly after that scary incident, that's a huge boost for the Calgary Flames. But the big changes and the one that has Flames fans talking the most are the lines at uh, forward for Daryl Sutter's crew. Dubé, Lindholm, to Foley stay together. Huberto now with Kadri and Lucic. Manjapani on the left side of Backland and Coleman. Your fourth line, Ruzichka, Lewis in the middle, Richie and Phillips rotating on the right side. And there's a lot to dive into here. And the first and foremost one that, of course, everyone's going to talk about is Milan Lucic finding himself on that spot with Kadri and Huberto. Now, I'll preface the conversation with practice is, is simply practice. Zahorna missed yesterday with an illness, and perhaps him feeling healthy or closer to ready to go might mean a different lineup against the Sharks in game two of this little homestand in San Jose. But it's been a pretty good indication this year that these are what the coach is going to try. Of course, Lucic got his first of the season in the second period last night. Goes off of Eric Carlson and in from Lindholm and Lewis. Lucic played 13.05 last night. Finished with a goal, four shots on goal, three hits, one giveaway, and one takeaway. And he has looked considerably better and considerably more engaged since that healthy scratch just a couple days ago. Now, would I immediately think that that's the spot to put him in? No. And if you're a Flames fan today that is sitting there 
and maybe frustrated or confused by the thinking, yeah, okay, I'm not going to blame you for that. It's it's one that, I look, I've actually, since they've been together, and it's only been for two games, I haven't minded Huberto with Kadri and Manjapani. Now, maybe Daryl wants, you know, look, San Jose's not the biggest challenge in all of this, and trying something new is a little safer, perhaps, against a team like San Jose than than maybe if you're playing Minnesota or somebody else. But yeah, it's a it's a strange decision. There'll be plenty who would like to see Matthew Phillips, perhaps, in that spot. If you're willing to change something in the top six, why not give Phillips some run? I this was the one thing I was worried about with Phillips coming up, and it's the one that Pat talked about, uh, Aaron Vickers talked about it, Pikes talked about it, Wes talked about it. If Phillips comes up and doesn't play, what is he doing up here? Or if Phillips comes up and plays on a fourth line that's not designed for his style of game to be effective, what is he doing up here? He's the American Hockey, or was the American Hockey League's top scorer when he was recalled. Got into two games that had a lot of special teams opportunities. He saw some run on power play too, didn't have a lot of time at five on five, and since then has found himself on the outside looking in. It's a strange decision right now. I'm sorry, Milan Lucic, even... Even at his best right now, at this stage in his career, I'm not sure that Milan Lucic fits the bill to be in that spot with Kadri and, and Huberto. I'm, I'm sorry, I just don't think that's... I, I think getting him back to the point where he could be effective on the fourth line made the most sense. Now, there's nothing wrong with Manjapani, Backlund, and Coleman. That has a chance to be a very effective line for this group, and that's sort of where the depth of this team can do the most damage. But again, it it just sort of makes you wonder in a team that, yes, they scored five goals last night, but for the most part, they haven't been anywhere close to that. Why is now the time for Milan Lucic to get that run or that potential opportunity with Kandri and Huberto? I'm not sure. We've seen we've seen losses where you know the team has changed up their lineup, but for the most part, that was a pretty good sixty minute effort yesterday. Why change things up heading into game two against San Jose? Okay, you know, same opponent, same building, twice in a row. You want to change things up? Uh, okay, it just it, it feels like a. It, it What it feels like is it really feels like you're trying to fit something and, and you want someone to be something that they're not. And Milan Lucic is a lot of things for this team, but wanting him to be that top six guy that he once was, to me, is just asking too much from him. Now, again, this could all be for nothing when we get here tomorrow and are talking on the show after morning skate in San Jose, and the lines are completely different, 
and Lucic is back on a spot with Richie or Lewis or or whatever designation they want to go with. But just going off of what we see now, yeah, I can't I can't sit here and say that I've got a full understanding as to what Milan Lucic would be doing in that spot. Phillips hasn't got a lot of run for a guy that's just been back in the good graces the last couple of days. It seems like a pretty big jump up from Milan Lucic, but we'll we'll see how it goes. Maybe it's just to change things up in game two against San Jose. Maybe it's not. Let's head back to San Jose. And actually, before we do that, 960-960, fan feedback line. It's always open to you. There's been lots on this. Lots of people frustrated. Lots of people confused by the, the, the lines today at practice. Let us know how you're feeling. What do you make of it? We'll get to some of the texts coming up in just a little bit, but did want to flash back to last night from SAP Center. This is the head coach, Daryl Sutter, speaking to the media following his team's victory against the San Jose Sharks. Just, uh, Daryl, what did you think tonight? Maybe just the way you know what? We had a close game going into the third and then scored bunches there. Right? So, difference. Get a two goal lead instead of a one goal lead. Or tied. <laughs> Yeah, that yeah, was good to see Luce score. And I think Lindy's line did some really good work. And I think we kind of surprised him that a little bit when Huberdo came out of the penalty box in that goal. Puck moving on the power play early in that third. What with the momentum swinging there, just get two and two and run there? Yeah, I think there was some momentum there. They were probably on their heels a little bit. Yeah, it always does when you can have it. I mean, if it's two goal lead in the third's better than one goal lead. Whether when you're not a team that scores many goals, so I think the relief would have been the guys who scored. It's really good, as I said, good to see Luch score. And, uh, I think Lindy's Lindy and whoever Lindy played with tonight were really good. Hopefully he can score and hit uh, when we play again Tuesday. Like score a goal and get a hit in the first period. That's what hopefully it does for him. What did you uh, make your seven defensemen here tonight? Maybe just Let's address seven defensemen because the predictability of our defensemen has not been very good this year. So it's too bad you got to address seven and. I thought uh, Gilbert Boy came in and did a good job again, trying to take stress off four guys, and that's why we dressed three others. <laughs> Do you have any update on him after? Gibby, he was good. I talked to him. Yeah, he was just they wanted to, because he got obviously got punched. They wanted to make sure. There you go. It's head coach Daryl Sutter. Speaking at SAP Center yesterday following his team's win against the San Jose Sharks. Yeah, if Lucic wants to get a hit and a goal and do that in the first period, then that's what he hopes a goal from yesterday's game uh, does for Milan. 
some of the texts at 960-960 about where Lucic was in the lineup as far as practice lines go today. Uh, this text says, well, Lucci isn't my guy to be in that spot. I'm happy Man Japani got booted down. He has been by far the least bang for your buck forward this year, minus Luch. And that's an interesting one. That's an interesting point that that texture brings up because, yeah, Man Japani is, is at a point now, given the contract that he signed this offseason, and we haven't talked much about it because there's been so much else going on around this team. But this year, Andrew makes $100,000 less than Jonathan Huberto does. Now, that obviously dramatically changes. There's difference in careers, draft position, all that sort of stuff. But Mange was signed this offseason to be a lot closer to the 55-point guy that he was last year in 82 games than the 32-point guy that he was in the two previous seasons. And that's a worry right now. 7-7 seven and seven in 32 games from Andrew Mangiapane is not good enough. And while I will grant that he has been effective on that line with Kadri and Dubé, and they've made up a good line together that's been effective, at $5.8 million for a team that is already we feel maybe a forward short in the top six, that production's got to come up. We, you got to see more than that. It, it can't, I really don't think if this team wants to get to the postseason that you're going to wind up with man's around 30 to 40. That's, that's going to be a tough spot to come in. And expectations have been raised, and that's not the first texture that's pointed that out about about Man Japani. We talk about Huberto and Kadri, Markstrom, Uyghur, whoever. Man Japani's got to own some of this offensive downslide that the Flames have been on this year, too. I'm not saying he has to score 35, but we, uh, more than 7-7, seven and seven, I think, for sure is fair. Uh, this text says, Phillips is not a Sutter-style player. He won't get a fair shake. Love Luch, just too old and slow. Jim says they need to showcase Luch before the roster freeze. <laughs> Maybe. Dylan from the Foothills texts in says, I'm a Luchich fan. I think having him on the second is okay. One thing since having him back, opponents are, uh, are scared to hit when he's on the ice, so I like it. It opens up spots for Huberto and Kadri to move freely. Yeah, I, I do think there's something to that. I just wonder if he can keep up offensively with that group and, and do enough in the offensive zone with them. He's certainly been more effective in the last couple of games than he was before the healthy scratches. There's no no way to argue that. This takes us high low. Don't get me wrong. I respect the heck out of Sutter as a coach, but some of his decisions this season are questionable, to put it politely. What the bleep is Lucic doing on Kadri's line? He doesn't have the speed nor the skill, and his decision to put Matthew Phillips on the fourth line makes me want to bash my head against the wall from pure frustration. This text says the only explanation for Luch on the second line is Daryl has a few bricks on the four and a half over under for Luch goal total. Just kidding. Uh, the practice lines mean nothing right now. We have no real number one line. Not like last season. The team is still trying to gel and find a new rhythm with all the new faces on the team. 
<laughs> this text is turning on the radio and just hearing Sutter breathing is absolutely terrifying. Fair. And then these two texts come in and say, hey guys, what has Phillips done to be gifted second line minutes? Everyone I asked after the first two games he played said he was okay. Okay isn't good enough for fans touting him like he's some savior. Although I agree Lucic on the second is strange, I trust the coach. The AHL isn't the NHL. This text says, I can't, I can't really uh, read it exactly, but more on the Phillips thing. Too small. We unloaded a very small, high-scoring guy. Can't be effective in the playoffs. Can't full-on check full-grown men. And no, this is what I, this is what I'll say about the Phillips thing, and that's why I, I just gifted second-line minutes is is different for me than say putting a guy in a position to succeed. I'm all for any prospect, any new guy in the organization, any young guy coming into the Calgary flames having to earn their spot. But I also think you're asking like if you if you're saying you've got to look, I need you to prove it on the fourth line before I put you on line two. To me, that's too. It, it's hard to do that when Matthew Phillips isn't a fourth line guy, and even if you want Matthew Phillips to succeed in the NHL, I don't think it's going to be in a fourth line capacity. Is what I'm saying, and I'm saying I don't think that you're gifting a guy second-line minutes, quote-unquote, where that's the spot that he's going to succeed because he's with other skilled players. You could run Matthew Phillips out every night with Richie and Lucic on the fourth line and say, earn it, but I don't know that you're giving him a fair shake because those two guys don't play anywhere near the style that he plays. And of course, that all goes back to what we had a week ago and the conversation of can you have a different look fourth line that's not a big physical checking line? Could you go for a younger, speedier scoring fourth line? Absolutely you could. But right now, this coach and this roster is constructed where most nights the fourth line is big and bulky. That's not Matthew Phillips' game. And I'm with that texture. I thought he's been okay in two games, Matthew Phillips. Just okay. I would have liked to have seen more. But I I also don't think that five minutes of of five-on-five time is, is fair to judge him on either. And I've been, I've been skeptical of Phillips since the start, too. If you're one of the guys that sets, that is, or, or women that watch, or it's everybody that watches, not just guys. If you watch and you say, man, Phillips is way too small for this league. I don't quite know how he's going to do it. I don't blame you. He's smaller than Johnny Goudreau was. But it doesn't mean he can't do it. So for me, those texts are, are going in different ways. I just, I'm surprised that after a good win on Sunday, we're willing to change things up into that direction. 
And as Peter said in hour one, you can go back to the podcast and, and, and listen to it in our chat that we have every day. Don't you wonder against San Jose, against Anaheim, if this wasn't a better chance to, to work some of those guys into different spots? We'll see. Uh, a couple more texts here before uh, we get out of here for the hour and make way for the PDO cast. Uh, this text is putting Lucic on the second line is like playing pond hockey and having to have your dad on your team since you're a player short. This text is, is Sutter really afraid to hurt Lucic's feelings at the expense of the team's betterment. No, that I don't believe in because I think that he went down that road with the healthy scratch. And Lucic has been better since then. I, I really can't I can't argue that he has been. You can railroad him on Twitter thread after thread if you want to, but he has been better. Go ahead. I mean, that's if that's what you want to do, go ahead. But that's he's been better. This text is if Flames fans are surprised at all about Sutter, we all know what he was. He's a guy who likes size and structure. I agree with Francis. Either the coach goes or Phillips does, and they get an assessment, uh, an asset or two for him, excuse me. He ain't playing under this coach. Uh, this one says, why are the Flames just burning his 30-day waiver exemption? That, see, again, that plays into it for me, too. You've got this time here to play him, and maybe things have changed. Maybe the approach with the, the losing streak has changed for Daryl, and he's he was okay playing Phillips while... They were still treading water, but he has a harder time doing it when the team's been struggling. I don't know. But that's going to come into play sooner than later here, too. Is he had 30 days with Phillips before you had to send him down and expose him to waivers again. Did you make the most of it? Uh, good call by Senator to put Lucha on the second line. Great passer. As the trust of the coach straightens out not only their room, but the opponents as well. Go Flames. Don says, I'd love to see Kadri, Phillips, and Huberto on the same line for a run. I think Lucic being there today is just for practice. We won't see him there tomorrow. That absolutely could be the part of it. And this one says, Lucic has been fine for the fourth lately, but no business anchoring Huberto and Kadri. He only scored because he missed the, feet by, the, missed the net by three feet, and it happened to hit Carlson. We'll see what all this means. Uh, uh, as we go about this in, in sports media, you're reacting live and it might mean nothing. We've had plenty of these conversations that the next day have meant nothing in the grand scheme of things because morning skate usually tells you a bigger story. But if the practice lines that we saw today do shift over to tomorrow morning, it'll be really interesting to see how this Flames team responds and how some of those guys that are being put in certain spots by Daryl Sutter respond to it. Because if it is Lucic with Huberto and Kadri, that's a big spot for a Flames team that needs to pick up another win against the Sharks. That'll do it for Hour 2 here on Sportsnet today. Thank you for all the responses on the fan feedback line, 960-960. The fan feedback line is always open to you here on Sportsnet today. Uh, shout out to our producers, Taylor and Cam, for killing it as always. Thank you to Curtis Pashelka and Peter Labardius for joining us on the program today. You can get the show wherever you get your podcast: Google, Apple, Amazon, Spotify, etc. Or you can find the show online at sportsnet.ca slash 960. We'll be back tomorrow. 
Flames game day, a late one, 8.30 puck drop against the San Jose Sharks once again. But for the rest of the afternoon, we got the Hockey PDO cast with Dmitry Filipovich coming up next. Steinberg's got Flames talk at 4. Keep it locked. You're on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.